grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I think that if we want to understand what praise is all about, we should not look to the scholars or lengthy dissertations from wise men. Instead, I think we should look to the faces of those who brought the palm branches up today. Now, of course, you can't see their faces because they're wearing the masks, but I know what's in that face and that feeling of getting to do this little thing for our church and for our Savior, bringing the palm branches up for our Lord. In chapter 10 of Mark, as Jesus is teaching about discipleship, he says, They were bringing little children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant at them and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belong the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. I can remember taking part in VBS and how one of the favorite parts of my day was when we got to sing the songs. And sing the songs, the type of songs where the kids could really get into it. You know, hand motions, signs, dancing. The littlest kids were always the funnest to watch because they would get the most into it. They would enjoy it with pure, childlike faith. As Jesus gets into Jerusalem, and he gets into the temple, and he gets into the worship of God's people, you, the more and more you see the experts getting uptight, afraid. They're afraid of Jesus, it says. They're afraid of the crowds. They're afraid of losing their power. They're afraid to dance. The proper praises of our hearts is to be free of fear. Free of fear. And I've had to learn that myself because when you get into these VBS songs, there's always some parents that might be standing by watching, but they're all too afraid to actually do the signs and dance along. But I've had to overcome that because I have to lead the kids, and so I have to learn to be free free to dance and not care what anybody thinks because we're praising our Lord and Savior. In our text today, we're working through chapters 11 and 12 of Mark, and we're seeing how Jesus is teaching what real praise is all about. In three parts, he shows us first the palms, which indicate the prophecy of his coming, in second, the prayers, which show us what faith is all about. And third, in the parable that he tells us, shows us why it's all needed to be founded on truth. First of all, the palms of prophecy. Symbols are important for worship. In our worship, we use symbols all over the place. They're in the windows, they're on the altar, they're in the gestures that the pastor is making, these symbols mean something, including the symbol of 
the palm. For example, a palm-like tree is used on our own state flag. In South Carolina, the state flag has the palmetto tree, which was added in 1861. It was added to the flag in reference to the defense of Sullivan's Island during the Revolutionary War. The South Carolina militia had to hold off the British troops that were firing cannonballs on the island. And in order to defend themselves, they set up palm trees, palmetto trees, around the base, backed up by piles of sand, and it saved the day. So they put the palmetto tree on the flag. But if you didn't know that story, what would the tree mean? What would the symbol mean? Symbols must be tied to stories. And so all that we do in our liturgy and worship has to be tied to the stories, the biblical truths that come right from God. Otherwise, they're meaningless. In fact, the historic liturgy uses pictures including the palm picture. The words, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, is part of our historic liturgy. You know what part of the service we say those words, Dern? You get 100 pastor points if you get this one. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, is right before we take Holy Communion. It's part of our communion liturgy. It's part of the Sanctus. And the words come from Psalm 118. They tie us to the story of Palm Sunday and to the story of Israel in the Old Testament, right out of Psalm 118. As Jesus led that march to Jerusalem, he was the king the one who was fulfilling the prophecy of Psalm 118, and the pilgrims were singing that psalm. But were they truly aware of what it meant? Were they truly aware of what these palms meant, what that psalm meant? Are we? We just read the words of Psalm 118. They're in our bulletin. Are we aware of the meaning of these words when we say that? and how they're tied to the story of the Old Testament and finally fulfilled in Jesus, the one who comes in the name of the Lord, the blessed one who comes in the name of the Lord, right out of Psalm 118. Well, Psalm 118 was one of the pilgrim psalms that the Jewish people would recite when they were making a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. It was called a psalm of Hallel, which means praise. It was a praise psalm, and they would recite this psalm at the time of the Passover. It was the last of the psalms that they would say just as they were getting to Jerusalem and going through the gates. And they would say, Hosanna. Now there's another word that if you don't know the meaning to it, you're not going to get the full benefit. Because Hosanna is not just a word that sounds like praise, which it is, but it also is a word which means save us. Now, in the New King James translation, that's actually what it says. And so if you're looking at the psalm in your Bible, you want to remember that when it says, Save now, I pray, O Lord. In Hebrew, it's the word Hosanna. 
So the pilgrims are making their way to Jerusalem, palms in their hands. They're singing this psalm. They're making pilgrimage. And they're saying, save us. Whether they even fully understand what that meant. They're shouting for the Messiah King to deliver them. Which is what we do in our worship as well. It's not just praise, but it's a desperate cry for help and salvation. That is the meaning of the palm. To lay ourselves down before the king as we enter into the spiritual battle that's coming. And we say, save us, Hosanna. Which leads us to the temple, where we arrive at the place of worship, where the prayers are offered. Those who live in Jerusalem don't comprehend the symbolism. They don't understand all of this. In fact, the reason they don't understand is that they're being controlled by fear. They're afraid of Jesus. They're afraid of what his teachings mean. They're afraid of what it means for the people to follow him. They're afraid of losing control. And they say, by what authority is Jesus doing these things? So the second way that our praises are proper is to have a faith that is set free from fears, that lets go of our control over the situation and simply praise. A childlike faith. When a child prays, it's the truest of prayers. Because he doesn't think about how fancy it is or how long it needs to be. A young little child says those words just right from the heart. And that's what prayer is. When Jesus enters Jerusalem and he goes to the temple, that's the first thing he does. He goes to the temple and he sees an elaborate, very sophisticated, very adult way of practicing religion. There's a system set up. For how you pay, how you get your sacrifice, and how you can go home. It's an elaborate system, very organized, very profitable, very prestigious. In fact, the temple was so grand in those days that we would be awestruck to have the privilege of walking into that holy temple. How else could we grow such a great and glorious earthly organization. We think of how we grow churches. From the greatest building projects the church has ever undertaken, how does that all get funded? Where does the money come from? Well, it comes from different things. In fact, throughout history, it's come from slave labor. It's come from indulgences. It's come from donations from the king. And it's led to the Gothic churches that we've seen over in Europe that are so glorious and so grand, it costs a lot of money. You take the Notre Dame Cathedral, for instance. Notre Dame means Our Lady of Paris, a reference to the Virgin Mary. It was originally constructed in the 12th century, and it estimated that today it would cost close to $300 million dollars. In 2019, you remember that it burnt down and they had to raise funds to rebuild it. They've asked for donations, and in fact, those donations have come pouring in and they've raised billions of dollars. They've raised more money than they even need to rebuild 
the cathedral. Now, why is that? Why does the money just come pouring in? Nicholas knows the answer. Why does that money just come pouring in to pay for that great cathedral? Why are we rebuilding it? Well, this gets back to understanding the meaning of it. Are we just under restoring symbols? Are we just restoring a system? Are we just restoring a work of art? Since the time of the French Revolution, cathedrals in Paris have lost their meaning. They've lost their meaning and truth of why they're so grand. In fact, during the French Revolution, the leaders of that humanistic, atheist movement for a republic brought in a new statue they called Lady Reason. And they brought in Lady Reason, a statue, of a, a symbol for what they stood for, reason and human accomplishment, scientific progress. And they erected a shrine to Lady Reason in the cathedral. It's where atheism and humanism took the place of Christianity, and really, in a lot of places, it hasn't left. While we might be compelled to restore the walls of Notre Dame, do we understand the memory of what it used to mean? Do we know that even if those walls aren't there, Jesus still is? And so Jesus curses the fig tree and then cleanses the temple. You see how the things go together, the fig tree, which is fruitless, and then the worship, which is fruitless, and he cleanses the temple and drives them out. And he reminds us of the fig, the fig leaf. And where did we first see the fig leaf? It was in the story of Adam and Eve. The first time we saw the fig leaf. A fig leaf which was used to cover up the shame, the shame of sin. It was used to hide from God. Adam and Eve used the fig to cover themselves up. And Jesus has to point out that they are just trying to hide. They're just trying to cover themselves up. You've made my house a den of thieves, he says. And he quotes Isaiah 56, which is a, a place in Isaiah where it's all about the foreigner. If you read Isaiah 56, it's all about the foreigners who come to worship and how this corruption of their worship has become an offense to all the other nations that God wants to bring into his kingdom because they look at it and say, well, why should I join that? That's more corrupt than my workplace. The proper praises come from faith. They come from true faith, which can happen in these walls, in the walls of your home, and within the walls of your own heart where the fig needs to be stripped away and we can see that the emperor has no clothes. Faith is for foreigners who come with a childlike faith from outside for a message of grace, love, and faithfulness from Jesus, something God intended for all nations, which has now gone out beyond Israel. It's not just about one denomination. It's not just about America. It's about God's people throughout all the world who are praying and trusting the Lord. 
for why Jesus came. Which brings us to the third point, why Jesus came. The proper praises have to be founded on truth. Anything else will be false praise. Jesus reveals that Israel had lost the foundations of truth when he tells this parable. And for all the praises they would offer without truth, it means nothing. Jesus comes to find that the fruit of this vineyard is lacking. And when he comes to collect the fruit, the vine dresser comes to collect the fruit from those who are producing the fruits of worship, the farmers don't want to give it up. They don't want to let go of their control over the vineyard. They want to claim the fruit for themselves. They want to claim the inheritance for themselves. The foolish farmers think that they can take what doesn't belong to them. The vineyard owner sends his servants, and they reject them. They beat them, they stone them, they kill them. Throughout the Old Testament, the servants are sent time and time again. The prophets are sent, and they treat them shamefully. Now, what will they accomplish? So he sends his own beloved son. He's so long-suffering that he just keeps reaching out until finally he sends his own son to them. Surely they will respect him. And now we see the blindness of it all, the foolishness of it. They say, this is the son, the heir. Let's kill him and claim his inheritance. Well, any one of us knows, if you kill the son, the heir, the father is not going to be happy with you. He's not going to give you his inheritance, but they think they can steal it away. And it's the foolishness of unbelief. Have you not read that the stone which the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Jesus returns to Psalm 118. We began with Psalm 118 with Hosanna, and we end with Psalm 118. Save us. The palms are laid down. The stone rejected by the builders it wasn't beautiful to them. Jesus wasn't beautiful to them, but he is beautiful to us. The Lord is willing to give it up, to give up all power, all control, and lay down his life. And the ugliness of Jesus' death becomes the beauty of his resurrection, where Jesus raises up a new temple a new spiritual dwelling place for God in his resurrected body. Our Lady is not a cathedral over in Paris. Our Lady is the church. This is where we gather. This is what matters. This is what is marvelous. This is the meaning of children's faces to have that privilege to bring up the palms and put them on the altar and know that they're not doing it to achieve some accomplishment, and I hope they're not doing it so people would look at them. We're doing it because of our Lord, as we all, children and adult alike, have to lay down our pride so that we can see Jesus and stand on his truth, be clothed in his righteousness, no longer naked, no longer afraid. We're free.
in Christ. Amen.